Ahoy, Buck fans! Are ye looking for a different kind of podcast that centers on the yellow-bellied opponents? Well, you've come to the right place. Get ready for an enjoyable, in-depth look back at the important moments, historical facts, and games for the Buccaneers against this week's opposition. It's the No Quarter Given podcast on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Now, let's get started with your co-hosts, Jason Powers and Peter Blake. All right, welcome back. It is Week 8 National Football League. We are here for the No Quarter Given podcast. The Bucks heading to the Big Easy, New Orleans, Louisiana, the Six and one Buccaneers will go up and to face the four and two New Orleans Saints. I'm your host, Jason Powers, along with Peter Blake. Welcome back, Peter. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Another W in the books last week. A, a ho-hum lights out performance by the defense, a dominating performance by Tom Brady in the offense. We set some records, a couple of records we're going to talk about. Your thoughts about uh, the 38 to three beatdown of the Chicago Bears was beautiful. Simply going back to last year where you lose on Thursday night football, 20 to 19. You have a penalty filled game. You didn't have any of that. There was no doubt from the very beginning. And I think the tone was set, Jason Powers, when Jalen Darden has that long pump return. Of course, they cut Jada Mickens. Now you see the reason why. And then defensively, Antoine Winfield getting after Justin Fields. The defense overall causing uh, five turnovers, four sacks, and running the ball for 182 yards with the combination of Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones, the victim of volume, who is the (laughs) victim of getting in the end zone on the one-yard line. That's neither here nor there. Once again, the balance. And look, Brady didn't have his best game, but four touchdowns at the end of the day without an Antonio Brown without a Gronk, just simply a dominating performance by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the Chicago Bears last Sunday. Mike Evans with three touchdowns. You and I talked about when we did our pregame show at Duckies. Yep. Plug the Duckies. We're there most every Sunday. We'll be at Duckies for pregame, halftime. It's a postgame activity. You better um, be there the postgame there, Jason Powers. Had, yeah. sorry. Sorry, I had to, sorry I had to pull out, man. Sorry. It's all right, man. How's sorry. postgame go, Okay. Oh, it went all right. I mean, it was kind of like crickets at that point. I don't it know was, what these Bucks fans want. You it's a beatdown. Have beat a dominating down. win, and they can't call in. They're so concerned about, well, the Bears aren't a good team, so we should have beat that team. Wait a minute. If they would have played down to the competition, you would have said, well, the Bucks played down to the competition. They're not very good. They're going to get beat by the Saints. You can't satisfy a Bucks fan at this point. But they didn't play down. They give the Bucks credit. They came off the, the, the long weekend after the Thursday nighter in Philadelphia, played very well offensively. Brady wasn't fa- fantastic throwing the ball. He did set a record. The mm-hmm. first time in his career he's ever thrown seven straight incompletions. And you pair that with throwing his 600th touchdown pass in the regular season. And then Mike Evans, after the touchdown, gives the ball to the fan in the stands. And then there's a little negotiation between the Bucs and the fan. And give the Bucs credit. They they did their part. Brady gave him a jersey. Evans gave him a jersey. The guy got season tickets for the rest of this year and all of next year as well. So kudos to the Buccaneers for stepping up to the pump for the fan giving the ball back. Is that enough? 
I mean, if you're yes. a fan, what? No, wait a minute now. The ball is reportedly worth five hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand. Could be a million dollars. Now think about this for a minute. That's true too. I was talking to Dennis Phillips of ABC Action News, and he said, "Look, I would be a stupid weatherman that you know took the ball, and everybody would hate me." And I said to him, "Look, I'll be hated for five hundred thousand dollars." I, I kind of <laughs> feel like the fan, you know, should have did some negotiation. Have went through a negotiation process. Of course, Tom Brady, we learn, uh, gives him a Bitcoin, which you know somebody will have to explain that to me, which is worth sixty three thousand dollars. So he definitely made out some way, but. Jason Powers, you get that ball. Are you running out of the stadium and negotiating later and trying to get that five hundred thousand dollars? Are you are you trying to get a a golf uh, you know a, a golf match with Tom Brady? I mean, what are you trying to negotiate with that six hundred ball? I mean, you know, sure. Can you be greedy? Can you do all that? I get it, but he got a pretty good deal. I mean, two two season tickets for a year and a half, basically. You know, is I bet what, is that what you would have asked for, or would you ask for more? I might have asked for a little more in the season tickets. The season, I might have said, "Give me season tickets for as long as Tom Brady's the quarterback." There you go. I like as a starter, right? So, yeah, I probably would have done that for sure. But uh, my point is, kudos to the Bucks for at least doing right. what they needed to do to get that done. And you know, hey, Tom Brady's, you know, no, and nobody knew at that moment that ball would be worth that kind of money. I mean, but you're right. There, there's something to be said about that, and. Uh, all that. So, all right, let's get to the let's get to the Saints Buccaneer rivalry. The Bucks trail in this series 37-21. Obviously, we remember the last meeting in the playoffs, the dramatic win in New Orleans last January. You know, the Bucks had lost both games in the regular season pretty pretty convincingly, and then the Bucks go to New Orleans. And people don't remember that New Orleans game. They only remember the win. But if there wasn't a fumble there mid-third quarter by Jared Cook when the Bucs were on the ropes on defense, mm. that game probably goes the other way if, if Jared Cook doesn't fumble that ball in the third quarter. And who created that fumble? The same guy that uh, sacked Justin Fields the first series there, Antoine Winfield, a rookie that year making a huge play. And then, of course, it's Devin White and his antics, Sean Murphy bunting in that game. I mean, that secondary, that linebacking core, they really stepped up, and I'll always remember Devin White going back to Louisiana, of course, going to LSU and having a point to prove. And then on the other side of the ball, it was playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette also from LSU stepping up in that game. And, man, oh, man, it's just a, that's one of my favorite Bucks wins, one of my favorite Bucks games of all time because nobody thought the Bucs were going to go in there and win that game. Everybody picked Drew Brees and the Saints to win it after they shellacked the Bucks twice twice in the regular season. Yes. And, and as we get into this rivalry, I think the Saints have taken over the, the mantle of being the Bucks' most hated rivalry in division. I think it used to be kind of the Falcons, but I think the Saints, with as competitive as we've been with the Saints the last 20 years or so, I think the Saints are kind of the Bucks' biggest rival in the NFC South. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But, you know, biggest rival would mean that the Bucks have won – some games in this series when breeze was the quarterback here you barely won anything if you won anything at all i think i can remember in 2000 i want to say at home it was the last game of the season chris godwin with a touchdown catch which changes the time the draft positioning of the bucks they draft vita vea 
the very next year and could have had an opportunity for Nelson. And at the time we were thinking, man, I wish they would have lost that game, possibly had a chance at another player, but boy, they, uh, but uh, I think that all started, you know, it, it started because, you know, the Bucks during that Super Bowl time, they were pretty dominant over the Saints. They, it didn't start out that way in 2002, but again, Drew Brees and, and that rivalry, just awesome. Bucks barely got some wins. When they got some wins, man, they were fantastic, especially versus that Hall of Fame quarterback. And it also started with Dirk Hutter and Sean Payton, didn't it? Yeah, no, you're right. They had a little spat and they had a little thing and, Interesting trivia note, both times the Buccaneers have won the Super Bowl, they've started their season as a, a season opener with a loss to the New Orleans Saints. So interesting. It's weird how the NFL in recent years has liked to put the Bucs in New Orleans early in the year. Obviously, this week it's week eight, but many years we've we've played in New Orleans pretty early in the season, The Buc- and they've typically come to Tampa later in the year. But, you know, this week it's week eight, and I think we play them – you know, probably mid, mid to late December, I believe, here in Tampa. So and we're yeah. going to get to that Bucks game here with the return of Jameis Winston here this week. But let's go back to the 70s, where it all began for the Buccaneers. We start out with the 26-game the losing streak. John McKay, Spurrier, all these different guys at quarterback. And they finally win their first game as a franchise after an 0-26 start. In New Orleans, 1977. And who was the starting quarterback of the Saints that day? That'd be Archie. Archie Manning. And who's the coach who matriculates the ball down the field? One Hank Stram. Very good. 33-14, to of course, yes. And uh, John Forsenda of NFL Films, and I was looking offline here before I got on, called it Sunrise, and that's how a lot of Bucks fans felt like because (laughs) – Finally. Finally, 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 you get a win. And I think John McKay called it the greatest win of all, all time in the world or something like that. He was just awesome for a quote, but man, what a feeling right after Owen 26 and to think Jason powers, the Jacksonville Jaguars nearly eclipsed that mark going Owen 20 there for, but it's totally different, you know, expansion team, the first two years, it's not like it used to be. It isn't. No, I mean, they, the, the, the way the way these expansion teams have, have started out, you know, obviously Carolina and you had the Texans, much more opportunity to win games and the parity in the NFL is so much better than it was 45 years ago. You know, there wasn't free agency. Teams weren't losing guys back in the 70s, in the, in the 80s kind of deal, and they've made it a lot more manageable for an expansion team to get kind of up to speed in a much quicker period of time. So, folks, if you want to li- – if you want to – Focus just on that first victory by the Buccaneers, 1977. Go to our buck podcast hosted by Paul Stewart, who's brought us aboard the buckpower.com podcast network. The buckpower.com podcast episode five is all about the Bucks first win in new Orleans, 1977. You got Dick Crippen for those of you that are in the Tampa Bay area, longtime sports anchor here in the Tampa Bay area. Your uh, Dennis Crawford and obviously Paul Stewart himself break it down. That whole episode is just about that game. So go to buckpower.com episode five as part of the buckpower.com podcast network. Dick Crippen, a legend. Yes. Tampa Bay area when covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Q105. Channel eight. Channel eight. 
I mean, he was the guy. He was the guy that was covering the box. So that's pretty awesome. Him, him, Andy Hardy for Channel 13 back in the day. Then you had your buddy Al Keck for a long time. Ken Brew was a famous sportscaster here in the Bay Area for a while. Yep. Our man Ken Brew. And then obviously you had after Dick Crippen, you had Chris Thomas and some very, very Gail Searins. First ever female to call an NFL game. It was from right here in Tampa Bay. She was the sports anchor for Channel 8 for a long, for many years before she went to the news side. So we've had some uh, big-time sports anchors here in the Tampa Bay area growing up. Yeah, and Al Keck, I always remember the 1990 season. Him, Jesse the Body Ventura, and Gene Deckerhoff. I mean, yep. look, I was kind of glad that we had blackouts at that point to watch Bucks or not watch Buck games because you get to hear that broadcast, and they were just – so entertaining and especially Jesse the body fence. He was good. He actually did a good job, man. He was really good. And I didn't understand why he didn't come back for multiple seasons. Uh, of course, you know, WWEF uh, announcer now WWE. I mean, governor, former governor of Minnesota. Yes. I mean, I mean classic. He, he's had a hell of a, he's had a hell of a life. He's lived a great life for sure. Yes. All right. Absolutely. So we win our first game in 77. 1982, strike shortened season. The Bucks get it done 13 to 10. Morton Anderson, who's played in the league for 100 years, it seemed like, missed a 60-yard <laughs> field goal at the gun to preserve the W for the Buccaneers. Strike shortened season. They made the playoffs that year. The Bucks did. So a big, big miss there by Morton Anderson. And remember, the Saints were terrible, too, in the 80s, along with the Buccaneers. So the Saints weren't any good during those times either. Archie Manning. All those, you know, Bum Phillips was the coach there for a long time. Jim Mora came along in the 80s and 90s, which we'll get to. But the Saints, were both the Bucks and the Saints, were a ravished, downtrodden franchises in the 70s and 80s. But didn't it seem like the Saints were better? I mean, I mean it seemed like every team was better than the Bucks at that point. But again, uh, the Bucks had some wins. But the Bucks had that little four-year run, late 70s to early 82, 83, where they were contenders, but after that, they had a long swoon. I don't think the Saints made the playoffs for the first time in their history until like early 90s, 80, might have been the late 80s, early 90s with Jim Mora that they finally made the playoffs for the first Play time. Playoffs. playoffs? Playoffs. I actually saw that clip the other day. That's that's still a great clip. It is. And that was the day before Jim Mora got fired or resigned as the head coach was when that rant came out, by the way, just for, for people that remember that Jim Mora rant. All right, 1987, the Vinny Testaverde era begin, begins in Tampa. We draft him, Heisman Trophy winner out of Miami. We think he's the franchise savior. First start, we are all excited in Tampa Bay. 369 yards, two touchdowns. Ray Perkins' first year as head coach. We're thinking, uh-oh, we got something here. The Bucks still lose, 44-34. But there's a lot of hope when we think when we see Vinny Testaverde in game one. Well, and I, I looked this up, the first two possessions, kind of like Jameis Winston, right? I mean, the first two possessions, two fumbles. And then, of course, the Bucks get down 14 to nothing, as they always did during that time you get down. And then you're watching the game because you think this team can come back. They try to come back. And, of course, they lose by, consequently, 10 points. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Mark Carey had a great day that day. So, uh over 200 yards of receiving, I believe. 
And remember now, folks, not until 2002 did the, were the Saints a division foe where we played them twice a year. So we didn't have a whole lot of, you know, you weren't playing the Saints every year or in the, in the 70s and 80s. So there wasn't a whole lot of matchups worthwhile up until the 2002 know, uh, season when they, when they joined the division. So 2001, the Bucs scored 48 points, a team record at the time. Aaron Stecker, we remember Aaron Stecker, a little third down back, had a couple opportunities to be the to be the tailback. He at that that point had the longest kickoff return in Buccaneer history. Didn't score, but he had the longest return in history because remember we were still in that jinx of never running a kickoff back for a touchdown. And Stecker <laughs> almost did it, but didn't, but came up just short. Yeah, eighty six yards, and they couldn't do it. And I believe at the point. Wasn't Aaron Brooks around as the quarterback? I believe, yep. Yep. So, I mean, he was a tough customer, but that Bucks defense, of course, was up for the challenge. And going back to Mark Carrier in 87, 212 yards. Right. Bucks that was that was in that Vinny game, I believe. Yep, that was in that Vinny yeah. game. Yeah. So. Yep. Remember, again, Mark Carrier, he's a very underrated guy in Buccaneer history. He's a guy that, you know, I could see at some point maybe getting in the ring of honor because he had a really good career. First round draft pick, receiver, McNeese State. He had a really solid NFL career with the Buccaneers and was their number one guy for many, many years. I agree. Absolutely agree. So, and he still holds the record for 212 yards receiving, one more yard than Vincent Jackson had in a 2012 home game at 216. So, Carrier's still in the record books. Well, he's still in the record books, but Jackson owns the record, does he not? 216? With the oh my bad! I'm sorry, I misread. You're oh, right, my mistake. Okay. Sorry, that's sorry. All right, we'll get to I that. I just missed. Yep, yep, my mistake. But yeah, I mean, we're the tag team champions. That's what we do. That's what TJ Reeves says. We're the tag team champions. That's right, baby. You're there to fix my f ups. <laughs> 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 all right, so we we joined the division in 2002 with the Saints, Falcons, and Panthers. For a long time there, there was a stretch where every year somebody in that NFC South different won the division title. For many years, there was not a repeat champion in the South Division. That just showed the parity and the competitiveness in that division in those early years. It really was, and I think it started off pretty rough for Bucks fans because John Gruden was coming in 2002. You're at home. You're down in that whole game. And then the way it ended in overtime, Tom Tooper trying to throw a pass, which he had no business trying to do, of course, he got pressure and then it ended 26 to 20 and Bucks fans are like, not again. John Gruden may not be the, I mean, you know, Bucks fans by now they were saying not again. And then of course the Bucks rectified that situation went on to win the Super Bowl, but not a great start. It was pretty ominous, if you will. Yeah. And again, during those Gruden years, the saints were, the saints were always pretty competitive. Like you said, Aaron Brooks was in the mix for a long time as the quarterback there. Then they transitioned to Drew Brees when Sean Payton and Drew Brees come to town. I think it was 05. Was it 05? Hurricane Katrina, 05, was the first year Brees and, and Payton hooked up. And that changed their franchise forever when Brees hooked up with Sean Payton. Because people don't, again, people remember the reason Drew Brees ended up in New Orleans is because Nick Saban failed him on the physical in Miami and not signing him in free agency because that was a done deal. If the if the if the if he passes the physical, he was going to Miami with Nick Saban. At that point, why don't you think John Gruden was interested in a quarterback like that? Because he loved veterans. Yeah. 
uh, who was the quarterback into? Was it Chris Sims at the time? Yeah, that might have been the Chris Sims era. Yep. Sims era. He was. That sounds about right. Chris Sims era, and then uh, Jeff Garcia, Brian Brian Greasy there. Uh, yeah. Uh, he loved the veteran quarterback, so you kind of wonder why he wasn't interested in a Drew Brees. He was interested in a Dante Culpepper. I remember at the time, and Culpepper ended up going to Miami. And you're exactly right. What could have been for the Miami Dolphins? They could have actually had the Dan Marino. But then, you know, it's what if. Like if Drew Brees goes with Nick Saban, is he as successful with the Dolphins as he would be with the Saints? I don't think so. Sean probably not. You're probably right. Right. Because because uh, Peyton was an innovator offensively. You know, he came to New Orleans at the perfect time during that Katrina disaster and all that stuff and galvanized the city, galvanized that whole part of the country. And obviously for many years, they were the most prolific offense in the NFL with Peyton and Breeze and Marcus Colston and all those guys that were that were running down there in New Orleans. So uh, the Bucks and Saints, again, very heated rivalry during that, that decade of the 2000s, um, you know, Again, Breeze has been there all the way up until last year. He was there 15, 16 years, whatever it was. And the Buccaneers just kept churning through quarterbacks, couldn't find the right guy, couldn't find the right chemistry, coach, quarterback, whatever. And he had that consistency in New Orleans. And Sean Payton, obviously, is still there with Breeze, now in the booth for NBC. Going back to last year, the first game of the year, and you, and you see Tom Brady. How surreal was that? Could you believe that? Because you, you're sitting down, I'm covering the game, and I'm looking, I'm like, that's freaking Tom Brady in a Bucks uniform. Right. You know, and how good they get. And they come out right away, and he gets a quarterback plunge, and you're like, okay, this is it. They're going to beat the Saints. And then, of course, after that, they couldn't do anything. I right. Mean, they were handcuffed, and once again, they had to try to come back. But how surreal was that to you last year when you saw him in that uniform? Because there was no preseason. It was the first time Bucks fans saw him on television. What were you thinking at that moment? Oh, I mean, it was it was surreal. And remember, no fans, no, no fans in the Superdome. Oh, so it was it was an a, a empty building. You had Tom Brady. We none of us knew. We all thought, oh, Tom's going to come in and pick up the offense. It's going to be ho hum and. You know, it wasn't. It was that way on the first drive, yeah. but you could really tell during that game that he wasn't. It wasn't coming automatic to him. He was thinking a lot about each play instead of just knowing the play. Hey, I'm going here. Remember the out route he threw? He tried to throw a ball to Just Justin Watson that got picked and run back for a touchdown. And you just thought, uh oh, you know. And that just shows how important training camp, having some time in the offense, chemistry with receivers is you can see such a difference this year in year two. Yeah, and I think the first pass to Chris Godwin when he put touch on it, because we, throughout the years with Jameis Winston, you know, he had problems with putting touches on passes. You know, his deep ball accuracy wasn't that great. You saw that first pass from Brady to Godwin, and you're like, whoa, maybe this guy doesn't necessarily have a dead arm like all these national pundits were saying. And I never believed it. I thought the weapons weren't there for New England. I, I just... You go back to that, and I remember where I was. I remember I was in St. Pete covering the game for another platform, and it just was crazy. It yep. went crazy at that point, and it was it was even more surreal because you saw him in the uniform, but like you said, there were no fans at all. It was silence. It was probably even more striking in the last year with, with that series was how bad they got crushed at home. They, right. come to, they come to Tampa Sunday night football. It was probably six, seven weeks later, week nine, week ten, something like that. 
seven and two. The Bucks were seven and two. They were flying high. And, and got just lit up on Sunday night. Got absolutely destroyed at home. Yes, absolutely crushed. And you couldn't believe it, uh, what was going on. And it started the first drive with Drew Brees just going down. And Michael Thomas, uh, as always, a Buccaneer killer, uh, killed us in that game. You had Taysom Hill. And then who could forget the post game with Jameis Winston Jesus. and Drew Brees and Cam Jordan. And I feel like that was bulletin board material where the Bucks players saw that and that Abs- extra motivation to it. If we see these guys again, if we see these guys a third time, yep. look out. Yep. No, you're right. There's no doubt about it. 2018, we'll hit 2018 real quick and then we'll get to this week's game. Yeah. The 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 legend of Fitz Magic mm. in Tampa. We all remember. Winston was suspended for his off-the-field situation going into the 2018 season. Dirk Cutter was the coach. Fitzpatrick starts that first game. We we have a score-a-thon, a shootout with the Saints, 48-40 in New Orleans. This guy, Fitzmagic, Ryan Fitzpatrick, long-storied history, been a backup in many, many, many teams, comes out and throws for 417 and four touchdowns while Jameis is getting into a scuffle and sitting on the sidelines. I think he got into a scuffle. There was a scuffle between Evans and Lattimore, I think. And Jameis kind of got involved in the in the in the in the antics a little bit on the sidelines. I don't know if that was that game. I think okay. of another year, but I know where you're talking about because it was Lattimore and Evans, and then uh Winston went for him. So that was another year. You're but- right, you're right. My mistake. That's okay. That's all right, because it involved the rivalry. But 18 started out bad because Alvin Kamara scores. So you're like, oh, no, not again. And then this offense took off, and you saw Fitzpatrick throw to Deshaun Jackson for 58 yards. I mean, highly explosive. The guy did not look like a veteran quarterback. He looked like a starting quarterback that loved Dirk Cutter's offense. And there was, you know, there was a lot of doubts that year because – you know, we knew that Fitzpatrick has been around the NFL. We also knew that he was very inconsistent. You either had Fitz magic or you had Fitz tragic. And that day he was Fitz magic. And you remember the next week he came back and played really well against the Steelers. I believe was it the Steelers Eagles. The first play of the game to Deshaun Jackson That's right. in the press box before we could sit down yours truly along with the legend himself, Leo Haggerty. And I'm like, are you serious? This first play of the game to Deshaun Jackson and they defeated the Philadelphia Eagles, who the year before were the Super Bowl champions. And then Monday Night Football, they played the Steelers. He threw for another 400 yards, but they lost. And then the debacle that we did not talk about last week in Chicago, where the greatness of Mitchell Trubisky threw for six touchdowns versus yeah. that horrible defense. I'll never forget it. And yeah. remember, remember that was the third, that was Cutter's third year where he was in a must-win year. Right. save his job and there was lots of discussion who should be the quarterback Jameis right. Fitzpatrick and I think that really started the downward spiral of Jameis here in Tampa because of that suspension Fitzmagic played well and all that stuff and that really started and obviously uh, Bruce Arians came in the following year and Jameis had his one more year through all the interceptions and they decided to go and get Tom Brady Right, absolutely. And the way Fitzpatrick played that year, you were like, well, what if Jameis comes back? I mean, the way Fitzpatrick is playing. You ain't taking him out. You got to keep him in. But in that blowout against Chicago, he actually played in it. 
And it was just like, why even play this guy in it? I mean, just keep it. It was just a disaster that right. day. And that whole year was just so weird because you had your ups, like you talked about with the Saints to start. And then you had just your downs and you had rumors of the locker room being divided. Of course, Deshaun Jackson, with all the plays he made, he was a locker room cancer to a certain degree. I mean, rumors were flying. And then eventually at the end of the year, Dirk Carter was fired. All right, let's get to this Sunday afternoon, 425 Fox. Buck and Aikman in the Superdome. You got the Saints who came off the Monday night win, a very ugly win in Seattle. You know, they're, they're, they're definitely in, in this transition year of Jameis, not the same prolific offense, not nearly the passing attack that they've had in previous years. Mike Thomas hasn't played. We don't know what his stat. I don't think he's playing Sunday. He's kind of on the PUP list still with the ankle injury and the foot injury. You know, this is going to be a different kind of Saints offense that we're used to seeing, a much more run-oriented, Alvin Kamara-centric offense. In news that just broke today, which is Wednesday, they just traded for Mark Ingram, reacquired Mark Ingram today to help in the backfield, to reunite those two guys. So I definitely think you're going to see a run-oriented offense. The defense for New Orleans is very good, but your thoughts as we head to into the Superdome Sunday afternoon. I mean, you're exactly right. The story is going to be Jameis Winston versus this Bucks defense and what Todd Bowles can cook up. But I think the story should be the Bucks are getting healthy at the right time, right, Jason Bowers? I mean, Gronkowski practiced today. Levante David practiced today. Richard Sherman. If Levante David is in that defense, that run defense can shut down Kamara. They did it last year in the postseason. I think they can do it again. And I like the Bucks by at least 10 points in this game versus the Saints on Halloween nights. Halloween. Oh, yeah. And, and don't think that the New Orleans Superdome won't be sauced up and those people won't be liquored up before that it? game, whether it be it in Halloween, <laughs> Halloween and Bourbon Street. I mean, <laughs> and the Bucks in town. Are you kidding me? I oh, mean, oh. I warn you, Buck fans that are going to be in attendance, beware, because there are going to be some liquored up people in New Orleans come Sunday afternoon. Yes, and when are they not, Jason? I mean, honestly, they're always liquored up there. I mean, it's the big easy. I mean. Uh, on Halloween, and uh, it's there's so many storylines of this game, but you know Tom Brady. Tom Brady will have this team ready to go, no matter if Gronk is in there or not. But if Gronk is in there and he's playing, it makes that offense that much better. Of course, the other big story is Antonio Brown. When asked by BA Today uh, about him coming back after the bye week, he said there could be an extended period of time. So my question for you, Mr. Jason Powers, is trading deadline. If you feel like Brown is going to miss an extended period of time, are you going with what you have? Or are you trading for a player out there? Uh, nah, the I'm, I'm going to hold I'm going to hold power with what we got. Unless it's a season-ending injury to, to Brown, I think you got enough talent with Tyler Johnson. You got the multiple tight ends you can play. They, You know, nobody stopped us on offense, honestly. And the schedule is very manageable the next five, six weeks. So even if Brown were to not play for three or four weeks due to injury, the schedule is very manageable. You're going to, you know, I don't think you're going to bring in another guy. I don't think, because then it takes that guy two or three weeks to learn the offense. I think you got enough in-house to do it. To me, the big matchup in the game Sunday is Alvin Kamara in the passing game mm. screens. They love throwing screens to him. He's out in routes all the time. He killed Seattle on Monday night in the pass game, 
not necessarily the run game. And the Bucs have always had issues with Alvin Kamara in the passing game. And let's face it, Devin White has had issues with coverage. So to me, that's the matchup you got to watch, right? You got to watch Alvin Kamara versus Devin White. Can Devin White duplicate that effort he had in the playoffs last year? If he can, the Bucs are going to win this game. Yeah, I agree. I think, the I mean, again, New Orleans defense is real. They got a real defense. Lattimore, Cam Jordan, they're, they're, they're stout on defense. And again, the Bucs had... You know, they played well in the third game, but the first two games they were miserable, not miserable, but very average on offense, really bad in the Tampa game last year in Tampa. But if you're Brady, take what the defense gives you. Don't force the ball. Hit the open guy. I'm with you. I think the Bucs win by 10 points in New Orleans. Again, will be an interesting atmosphere with a crowd. That will be something new. The Bucs may, again, offensive line-wise, they're doing a great job. But you, you know they're – you know they're blaring the music this week at practice. The okay. music is high with the noise factor from New Orleans. So you know the uh, the DJ's playing loud, loud music at One Buck Place this week. Absolutely. And it'll be a festive atmosphere once again on Halloween night. I can't wait. And where will we be on Sunday? Ducky Sports Lounge, 1719 West Kennedy Boulevard in Tampa for your pre-half and post-game editions for your NSPN Watch Party live on NSPN. And, of course, I love St. Pete. Do three things for me here. Bring your passion. Bring your excitement. Just don't bring any nonsense. I'm your host, Peter Blake, giving you something to think about. All right, I got to ask you one more question before we get out of here. Yes. Are you going to be dressing up for Halloween Sunday? Yes, I will be. Will you be in costume at Duckies? I will be. What? Okay. Ready? Peter Blake? Sports broadcast. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Stay classy, Tampa Bay. <laughs> <laughs> but I guarantee you, there'll be some people at Duckies dressed up in oh, some yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know what we're talking about, too. <laughs> and we know, and our buddy OC, who's the manager over there, he's a huge New Orleans Saints fan. Oh, so God. the Saints fans will be out on Sunday. You know, the, it's, a, it's a great place, no matter who you're, who you're a fan of. Come out to Duckies, watch all the games. Food's really good. Service is good. We'll be out there. Again, we'll be going on the air around 2.33 o'clock for our pregame stuff because it's a 425 game. We'll be there at halftime. We'll be there postgame. Find the Powers on Sports podcasts. We've got – we're talking college football this week, NFL. I got a – we got an awesome guest this week. We talk all things mainstream. We're talking World Series. Who do you like in the World Series? Braves-Astros. I like to see the Braves win, but they lost Charlie Morton, so I don't know how that's going to work out, and I heard the Astros are giving it to him tonight, but I don't want to see the Cheaters win, so I'm going to go Atlanta Braves. Chop, chop. Let's go. All right. So you're listening. Yep. No power pop, no quarter given podcast. Thanks to Paul Stewart and the BuckPower.com podcast network. Remember, BuckPower.com for all of your Bucks history, videos, audios, stats, rosters, schedules, anything you need to know related to Buck history, buckpower.com. Paul Stewart doing a great job. Thanks, Paul, for having us on, doing your No no Quarter Given podcast. And we get an off week next week, Peter. It's the bye week. I know. We get to dress up as ghosts next week. (laughs) That's what Saints fans are going to dress up as once the Bucs beat them. That's right. We're going to see everybody at 7-1 and in two weeks on the No Quarter Given podcast. I'm Jason. Peter, take us away. Absolutely. I'm just going to give you something to 
have a great week, folks, and let's go Bucks! Go Bucks! Join us again soon for another preview of a scallywag buccaneer foe when we come back with another No Quarter Given podcast. And make sure for the best in historical buck coverage, you go to buckpower.com. And as always, keep listening to the buckpower.com podcast network.